What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And on The Stack, we talk about a ludicrous amount of books that have come out this week. Yeah, we have a, a shocking <laughs> amount. We're down one <laughs> host. Many. We're up 10 comic books. That's the, <laughs> the value of Pete. Oh, my gosh. He's not going to like to hear that. But why don't we jump into the books, because we do have so many to talk through this week. Kicking it off with DC vs. Vampires All Out War, number one from DC Comics, written by Alex Pactendahl and uh, Matthew Rosenberg, a.k.a. Bergie, as I like to call him. Bergie! Bergie! Art by Pasquale Qualano. This is continuing the DC versus Vampire Saga. Vampires have taken over the DC universe. Here we're focusing on some survivors who are trying to bring back Batman, courtesy of a Lazarus pit, as you might expect. It goes horribly wrong. But, Justin, I know you've been a huge fan of everything that's been going on in this world. What did you think of this? I do love this book, and I think, I don't know how, the humans keep losing. Like they, it's just a nonstop L for all of the, and also mm-hmm. it's like, you're risking it all to bring back Batman. I know he's good, but is he that good? He's pretty good. I mean, I've only yeah, but, seen a couple of Batman movies and animated shows and read a couple of Batman comics over the course of the past, oh gosh, I don't know, 40 plus years, something like that. But he's usually able to get out of a scrape. Yeah, but this is bad. Like, you know how like sometimes right when you wake up, you're like bad at stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when you wake up in the morning, this is Batman being woken up from the dead. So it's yes. like, you know, he's going to be, he's going to have ba- grumpy. Exactly. Yeah. And a grumpy Batman's not a Batman you want solving big problems. And I don't know what's going on with Alfred right now. He's not going to be able to bring him some bouillabaisse or something like that to make him feel better. So Yeah, the famous dish that he always had uh, after a night of crime fighting was a hot seafood soup. <laughs> Alfred, <laughs> where's my bouillabaisse? I really like this book. I am bummed that Pete isn't here because this feels like right in his wheelhouse. You got Deathstroke, you got Booster Gold, you got all these uh, Captain Adam, these very extreme characters all fighting together. It's black and white and red in terms yeah. of the coloring. Uh, so That's very a full cool rainbow. Book. That's Pete's rainbow, as we call exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, but very cool book. And like you're talking about, they keep amping up the danger in such a big yeah. way. Um, and the fact that uh, this is a spoiler, but the char- I, I won't say it. The character that is the sort of ultimate villain is such a great, surprising choice. And I mm-hmm. like that. I also want to shout out the backup story. There's this great um, uh, Batgirl um, vampire, uh, Bat- Commissioner Gordon vampire story. And oh, it's yeah. awesome. Really yeah. well drawn. I love the art in this, um, in the backup. Good stuff. Next up, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, number one from Marvel, written by Jean Moon Yang, art by Marcus Toe. If you haven't been reading the regular Shang-Chi series from Jean Moon Yang, that is okay. You can jump in right here with this new one. Basically, all you need to know is that Shang-Chi has the Ten Rings, just like he does in the movie, except they have a corrupting influence on him, or at least that's what he's scared about. And basically, every villain organization in the Marvel Universe wants these weapons for their own. I love Gene Lu and Yang's tone on these yeah. books. Like, it's light, it's funny, the action is good. He dives into the characters, he vacillates between domestic scenes and big action scenes with equal aplomb. Just a very fun book. It feels like the, there's a classic comic structure to it in a good way where you get to see um, the hero being a hero and the hero being a human. Um, and I, I love that. I feel like that's a very um, Marvel method way of doing things. And the other thing I love about this book is the Ten Rings aren't just like um, the Iron Man suit where it's just like, yeah, let me get it going and, and win. 
the Ten Rings are a danger in themselves. Like, mm-hmm. so uh, Shang-Chi's just fighting both the villains and also um, his own sort of power set uh, in a cool way. And let me throw something out at you. I don't know if they're going to do this, but it feels like we're already getting some bubblings of the Punisher is running the hand. And clearly that's going to bring him face to face with Daredevil, who is running the fist, I believe, with Elektra or something like that. And with Shang-Chi running the five weapons and all of them having these weird corrupting influences. Again, I don't know if Shang-Chi is necessarily going to be brought into this, but I feel like there is this exciting, potentially exciting, very different sort of event that Marvel could be leading towards where you have all of these... Villain yeah. organizations being led by heroes all going to war with each other. There's a lot of international crime syndicates, yes. uh, CEO changeover happening here at once. And well, uh, we've that's had an a lot of like world threatening stakes, universe threatening stakes, heroes fighting each other type things. And I know this is a variation on it, but having like a real all out war with the criminal organizations of the Marvel Universe, I think that would be a lot of fun. I'd be into reading that. Yeah, especially if it really had that international feel and, like, heroes would have to choose sides, obviously. I don't know who's jumping into the Punisher's camp, but maybe some villains. Maybe that's fun to have the Punisher uh, with villains, the side that he's sort of always been on. Um, R.I.P. Pete for not being here and me saying that. There you go. Rogue's Gallery, number one, from Image Comics, written by Hannah Rose May and Declan Shalvey. Art uh, written by Hannah Rose May. Art by Justin Mason. I was very pleasantly surprised by this book. I'm going to kind of walk you through the first two parts of it without spoiling too much about what goes on. But the first couple of pages are straight up superhero book to the point where I was like, all right, what is going on here? I don't necessarily know who these characters are or what's happening, but it's a swerve. It's a feint. We're actually catching up with these characters who are hanging out in a comic book shop who are fans of a series called Red Rogue, I think is the name of it. Uh, Yes. And it's it doesn't necessarily have a comp with anything we know, though the situation that happens over the course of the book is a little similar to what happened with Ruby Rose in Batman, Batwoman, which mm. is where I think some of the inspiration came from. But basically, all of those trolls online who are constantly slamming CW Arrowverse shows, what if they decided to get back at the main actor in one of those shows? That's essentially the concept of the book. I really love the swerves of what dot as it went uh, as it went forward. Uh, I thought it was super fun. What do you think, Justin? I agree with you. I mean, this is a book that is sort of tense. There's a dread to it. It sort of has that a sound a hammer makes when it hits a piece of metal on a cold day, where you're like, ah, I feel like it hurts me in my teeth a little bit reading this. Um, but I love, uh, like you're saying, the the way the characters you sort of see them sort of sink. Let's like there's a radicalization thing here, which I think is very topical, and love to see it covered in the comic. At the same time, some sort of like the criticizing of the way the media covers like builds up TV shows or properties or IP or anything like that and sort of covers it in the same way that is about activating people in that way. So in general, there's just a lot of cool ideas at play here and I worry for the future of all these characters. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out and how much it dives into toxic fan culture, he said on his comic book podcast. But I think <laughs> like, it's yeah. very pointed in terms of that. And there's some twists and turns that happen, particularly even in like, the last panel of the book. But I'm curious how hard it's going to go. And my expectation is very hard, which is very <laughs> exciting. 
Yeah. So there we go. Next up, this is like a Pete heavy stack. I'm really bummed he's not here, but Young Hellboy, number one from Dark Horse Comics, uh. written by Mick Mignola and Thomas Stagowski, art by Craig Rousseau. I just want to jump back to you, and then I think we can stop repeating this. A couple of weeks back, you were like, why don't they release more Hellboy books? <laughs> and, I know. and I had to, like, this is Young Hellboy, and Dark Horse also sent through another one-shot Hellboy mystery where I was like, we got to make some choices here. There's too much Hellboy yeah. happening. Is If that was my one wish, I wish it was a little more uh, centered on <laughs> something I could use. But uh, I agree. Like, I said it, and it truly, it's we've had a Hellboy renaissance compared to the, we've been wandering in the Hellboy desert for uh, years. And these are fun. There's a reason I asked for them. Yeah. This one in particular, it's exactly what you are expecting from the title. It's a younger version of Hellboy. There's some mysteries going on in the background. You don't really need to know much about the continuity. It's just uh, teen Hellboy with big horns having a little bit of fun and uh, some weird stuff going on in the background. This is a team from Craig Russo on art to Mike Mignola and Thomas Stagowski on writing who know exactly what they're doing. It's very confident and it's very fun. And this one, like, this one is an on, more of an ongoing one, it seems like. And um, I love the way the book ends. And I just love seeing young Hellboy with that giant hand. Like, mm-hmm. it's such an iconic sort of weird image from from way back. So it's cool. Next up, Artemis Wanted, number one from DC Comics, written by Vida Ayala, art by Skylar Patridge. So I'll throw this out here at the top here. This is about Artemis who killed Hippolyta back in the... Oh my gosh, what was it called? Not Amazons Unleashed. Uh, it was uh, War the, of the, the Amazons. War of the Amazons, yeah. Trial of the Amazons. Trial, Trial. of the Amazons. Well, Sorry I think, wasn't it both? Maybe. Uh, but Trial of the Amazons, uh, she killed Hippolyta back then. She was on the run. Uh, Diana and Cassie are on her trail, uh, and she is encountering some weird mysteries. Da- Donna. Donna. There you go. Uh, I'm doing great with this book. I, I, I felt your hesitation. I was like, there is something wrong there. And I was well, like, that's so what here's, it is. here's my issue. I think this is well written. This is well drawn. This should have been like 12 issues of a series. I, I felt the same way because I love the premise. I love that we're sort of following Artemis on her sort of um, uh, Captain America rogue, like uh, disillusion with everything, running from everything and still like being a hero. Love that. And then I love the, the Donna Cassie stuff, like tracking her down a little conflict there about like, we have to get her and kill her. She owes us. And like uh, uh, Cassie being more like, well, uh, she's a pretty cool hero. I don't know if we want to do that. And it just comes to a head so fast. I was like, I could have done this for so much longer. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I, I assume part of the reason is I don't know how many people would read a 12 issue Artemis Maxi series, but I would have. I think like 100 percent of this podcast would. Absolutely. And I think part of that is particularly the pages that are so sparse with just Artemis on the run. The way that Skylar Patridge draws them is so clean. It reminded me. It's a very different subject, but it reminded me a little bit of Bruno Redondo's art on Nightwing, the way that he's been doing that stuff, oh, yeah. where it's just like these yeah. really clean panels, really just like sparse and silent, her running through the woods, trying to get away through stuff. Would have eaten that up, would have loved that. But instead, every couple of pages here, because it's speeding through the plot so quickly, it's just like two solid pages of dialogue where they're like, okay, we got to move on to the next thing. So... I don't know. I wonder if this was a whole outline for a series that got jabbed into right. one Maxi special. Still worth yeah. checking out, I think, uh, uh, because I liked it. But I wanted more. 
Yeah, I think that's a good call because you can feel it pace up about halfway through where I'm like, oh, this is where it's starting to – because the front, the first half is is really setting up a great sort of procedural and then it gets crazy. Yeah. Next up, Defenders Beyond, number one from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Javier Rodriguez. So if you didn't read the first Defenders series, it was a wild – weird trip where the classic Defenders, plus a couple of people, took a trip way back through time for the Marvel Universe, met Galactus's mom and grandma and things like that. It was absolutely bonkers insane. This one is setting up a new team of people who shouldn't necessarily be together, like the Blue Marvel and America Chavez and a variant of Loki, among other folks, and Tigra is in there as well, setting them on a new adventure. Um, First of all, Love Al Ewing's writing when he's, like, unfettered. Javier Rodriguez, I said this on the live show podcast, but I'll read anything he draws. Say it again, yeah. I kind of want to talk about the end, though. Uh, can I talk about the end of the book? I think so. Okay, so the end of the book, they reveal the mystery villain who is challenging Eternity and all of the cosmos, and it is none other than the Beyonder. And I yeah. got to that, and I was like, Marvel keeps doing this to me. They keep getting me with this thing where I'm like, oh, Defenders Beyond, that sounds cool. And the end is Beyonder. Or there was that mini series, I think it was Brian Michael Bendis did called Beyond. And I was like, oh, sounds interesting. What's that about? And then he was like, the Beyonder. And I was like, ah, you got me. Every single time. Why do you keep getting fooled? I don't know. I don't know why this is my Lucy football thing, but it's totally like they keep getting me. They keep fooling me. Uh, You're going to love reading Batman the Killing Joke. Who's the villain? Oh, I don't know. Why don't you check it out? <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you think about this book? Uh, I think it's great. I mean, Al Ewing always brings like it's just such a, a de- weirder is the wrong word, but like a more like d- deeper details and like a more interesting takes on sort of how to set up an, an adventure for these people to go on. I love the tarot stuff that's in here. Um, and the mix of characters is fun. Like Boo Marvel has always been a character. I'm like, I don't quite know how this character sort of fits in with everyone. Um, and I, the, I love the Blue Marvel in this issue as sort of the uh, uh, like he's so like just hates Doctor Strange in this in a way where he's like, yeah, it, it is annoying. Blue Marvel's trying to keep everything together and this bubblehead's bothering him. And Tiger is one of my favorite characters. Love seeing her pop up. Next up, Profit number one by, from Image Comics by Rob Liefeld. No, I have to apologize because I didn't write Are down. Are you about the... to vomit? You look <laughs> like you're about to. <laughs> <laughs> is that your. Is that your. <laughs> No, actually, I kind of like this, and I I didn't expect to like this, to be perfectly honest with you, but (laughs) this is bothering you because you love profit, right? I love, you mean money, like lowercase p profit? Yeah, profit, Um, the old series with the guy who lived in a box. Yeah, I did watch that, and that was a good show. Canceled too soon. That was on Fox, I think, for one hot season. Um, I love the profit series that came after Rob Liefeld and after Mm. all of that, all of this, all that sort of... Uh, pouch gripping um, uh, stuff that's happening here. And when it got like um, all about space, very trippy, sort of about existence and clone and the nature of like being uh, any sort of like being, uh, that was very cool. And um, this feels, I wanted them to incorporate just a little bit of it. Well, so the way that I understand this project, and I could be wrong about this, but this is the original issue of Profit that Rob Liefeld wrote, did the layouts for, and then got a ton of other artists to do individual pages and redraw them. So you got folks like Clay Mann and others tackling this. And for that, I thought this was really cool. I had fun reading this, 
just as an art jam, just as a tribute yeah. to for Image Comics anniversary. This is one hundred percent not my type of comic at all, but. I, I kind of had a blast reading this issue. I, I did like the the art jam of it is cool, but I just it, the whole time I was wishing I was reading um, uh, Brandon Graham's take on uh, on profit. Oh, all right, fair enough. Next up, the Lonesome Hunters number two from Dark Horse Comics by Tyler Crook. If you didn't pick up the first issue of this book, first of all, do that. But second of all, yeah. it's following an old man who has a magic sword and doesn't want to use said magic sword. Has gotten sucked into a weird, very Hellboy esque mystery where there's a crow, uh, raven, I guess, who's sitting on a dude's head, and he's got to get that raven off that dude's head to help out his new young friend. Um, man, I love this book, and I love Tyler Crook's art. What'd you think about it? Agree completely. It's very rare, I feel like, for a book to just really grab me like the first issue this did, and the second issue just follows up. These characters are, are super unique. Uh, the art is awesome. Like it reminds me of sort of like it's not similar in necessarily in the art style, but it reminds you of like like Hellboy, like mm-hmm. has this sort of dark side, a hero who is like reluctant to do the job uh, and some interesting characters sort of fleshing out the rest of the, the team. I, I love this. Fully yeah, it's it's a little bit like three quarters of the way between Hellboy and the goon, I'd say. Oh, great call. That's on the art style specifically. Yes. Yeah. But so good. Uh, definitely pick that up. Next up, Duo number three from DC Comics, written by Greg Pak, art by Koi Pham. Uh, this is about a couple who was developing some nanotechnology. One of them died and was her consciousness was sucked into the other person's body. This issue, we're finding out some big revelations about what has been going on with them, the enemy that has been targeting them and why. And also they figure out some new powers they can do with their body. Really love this book. We talked about this before, and I know I said this before, but I'll say it again. I know it's part of the Milestone universe, but it feels like a lost Valiant book to me in the absolute best way. And I think especially the art style contributes to that as well. This reminds me of what was the the Valiant book that was everything was very gloopy. You know what I'm talking about? It was like (laughs) call. It was something. It wasn't like gloop. uh, Shadow Man. Exo Battle War. Archie Gwyneth Paltrow's goop. Gwyneth Paltrow's goop uh, oh, monthly. Yeah, um, no, the uh, th- this is very cool, and uh, we should we should ring up uh, our man Greg Pak and get him on the show because I would like to talk about this book. I think it's it's so hard to bring new characters into the world, and I feel like the the characters here in Duo are really thought out, really fleshed out. The relationships are great, the powers are great, and sort of the the conflict between um, both our main characters and sort of them and everyone else is really cool. One thing that I think this book is doing really well is having a married couple who, mind you, one of them is dead and their consciousness is in the other person's body, but having a married couple who clearly loves each other but is still having friction anyway. You know, I feel like often comic books and all soap opera and TV, they're always like, oh, we're having troubles. Well, that's it. We're breaking up, you know, and here they can't break up. So how do they deal with that? How do they get beyond that? How do they work through their issues? Uh, it's really interesting and really complex. Next yeah. up, Alien Annual number one for Marvel, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Salvador Laraca. This is a one shot where, once again, Waylon Utani messing around with that alien, creating some big uh, problems here. And now they're just they just don't know when to take a break. Go back to selling uh, shampoo and stuff. Yeah, that's how it started. That's what they did. 
Uh, shampoo. Yeah, shampoo company that ended up becoming a multinational alien courting corporation. <laughs> Fair enough. Don't know that was very loosely were, researched. We were just talking about annuals on the live show and how worth it they are or not, given this is an annual that we're talking about here. What do you think about it in relation to that discussion? I really liked it because it was a one-off story. I mean, uh, it doesn't cross over like we were talking about in the live show, obviously, but this it the way that Marvel's been handling the the alien comics and Philip Kennedy Johnson writing uh, most if not all of them like they he puts all the elements on the table and mashes them up in a different way every time where it's still super stressful it's still like oh here they go making the mistake maybe don't trust that um uh, that synthesoid human because they seem to betray people all the time uh and the salvador laracas art is awesome it feels like new and fresh every time great stuff really good book definitely check this out like we've been saying if you haven't been checking out the regular alien series you can jump in and check this out anyway it's a classic good fun alien story Next up, Bloodstained Teeth, number four from Image Comics, written by Christian Ward, art by Patrick Reynolds. In this issue, we meet Dracula, the OG, as our yeah. main character is going after yet another vampire that he's created. What do you think about this one? Uh, I like the series. Like, I think I like the premise so much. And while it is sometimes hard to know exactly what's going on in this book, I think um, it can be a little bit like... When it gets a little wobbly on that, when it gets back to the premise of just like the a vampire that has to hunt down all of the people he turned or else he gets killed, like that's just uh, pure fun. And I love the way they're sort of experimenting with different genre here each issue. Well, and this issue is kind of like a fear and loathing in Las Vegas issue as our yeah. main vampire goes after a guy who's got some drugs in his blood. That creates some problems that really leans into Patrick Reynolds art in particular, which is absolutely gorgeous. And then the colors are gorgeous. So, as I always say, it's worth it for the art alone. Next up, <sighs> Faithless 3, number six from Boob Studios, written by Brian Azzarello, art by Maria Lovett. Now, this is a book we've talked about quite a bit here on the podcast, but we put it on the back burner for a while because Pete, and I think I'm quoting here, doesn't like that fucked up sex shit. Does yeah, that I like think him? that's yeah. that's a quote. Yeah, he's. I think the reason he's not here is getting that tattooed across his back, sort of uh -huh, sublime stuff. Pretty much. But this is the final issue of the series after three volumes, so I thought it was worth talking about, particularly because Pete isn't here, and we both really liked this book when it was going on. So this has been about demons and the devil and the art world and a lot of things going on in a coming apocalypse and promising that. Here we almost get a postscript to the series in this final issue. Uh, what did you think about how it wrapped up, Justin? I think, um, like you all do always say, it's worth it for the orgy alone, I think <laughs> is uh, what you're usually saying. Um, but th this is a book where it, I feel like the storyline was, the story is the story that we're reading here, but it's really about these larger themes that you were laying out, laying out of the connection between like, Sex, the arcane, and art, and sort of like inspiration. What we what we do uh, in our own time uh, behind closed doors, and what we put out in the world as art. I I, and I like those ideas, and it did the thing that I think is hard to do in a lot of comics and just anything in general is they didn't really show us exactly. They didn't say like, here is the connection between these things. It's very much like, here's the story we're telling and we're using those themes and it's up to you to draw them out from this uh, sort of demonic tale uh, that you're seeing uh, play out. Yeah. Like you said, there's no easy answers. I was surprised 
how it tied up here and where we leave yeah. all of our characters. But I kind of loved the last scene in particular. I thought it was so evocative and interesting. The orgy part. The orgy part, yes. Uh, well, no, but I like the way that it played out. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who has been reading the book necessarily, yeah. but I thought it was really a smart, not subtle, but purposely unsubtle way of ending the book in terms of the main themes of the main characters. And it really flipped this main dynamic between this character who may or may not, but probably is the literal devil and our main character of faith in terms of where they end up here that I thought was really interesting. Uh, this, this is a great book. Maria Lovett's art was great. If yeah. you are looking for something that is a very dark, weird adult tale, definitely check it out. Don't check it out in public because you can't read it there. But Yeah, there hard to read on the plane. And But I also thought it was sort of funny, this a comic called Faithless wasn't really about religion with the <laughs> devil in it. Sort of wasn't about that at all. And I, I appreciated that. Yeah. Next up, the Jurassic League, number three from DC Comics, written by Juan Gideon and Daniel Warren Johnson, art by Rafa Garas. This continues the story of dinosaur versions of the Justice League uh, fighting back in time. Now, I'll tell you what, I liked Rafa Garas's art, but I was very thrown reading this issue because I expected Juan Gideon's art. And I think, without saying anything too much against Rafa Garas, I think there wasn't enough delineation between the characters and the background that it sometimes yeah. became hard to tell exactly what the action is, which is something that Daniel Warren Johnson is over the moon, superb at Juan Gideon is really good at. And I think Rafa Garas was not able to channel it in exactly the same, same way. And that was a little bit of a bummer for me. Uh, yeah, I agree with you in this, um, in a, in a series that is about sort of banging a bunch of dino toys together. Um, you really need those bangs to hit. And it felt like it was just a little bit harder to, to sort of visually follow all of it. Um, but I will say there's no other book like this on the stand. So if you like this flavor, come get it. Yeah, pretty much uh, everything that I just said, but also it's dinosaurs fighting each other and that's a fun time. Next up, The Silver Coin, number 12 from Image Comics, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Michael Walsh. In this issue, we're going back to World War II with some Nazi zombies, potentially, maybe. Potentially. Maybe potentially. Uh, stuff going on here. This is a, a little bit of a different tale for The Silver Coin, a little bit of a twist on it. I continue to love every issue of it, uh, but what do you think about this one, Justin? I mean, I think uh, a comparison we could make is a book we're talking about later on in the stack, mm -hmm. Ice Cream Man, that um, every issue, the specifics are different, um, though there's all, some comparison in the, sort of the color tone and the art, but uh, and equally horrifying, but always a different path. And I I like there's, there's so much variety here. I feel like there's always a tendency to be like, all right, we're a couple issues in. Let's start to make sense of this coin. We have to meet the coin maker. Or like, where did they get the eye? Did, is this going to end up in a bubblegum machine, you know, where coins go to die? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, I, I, li I really like the way that it's just continuing on with just a great anthology series revolving around a coin. Because coins we touch every day almost. There you go. Uh, and this is a good one. If you like the movie Dead Snow, which is also about Nazi zombies, I think you'll like this. I feel like that's the direct inspiration here. Why don't we move on to talk about Alice Ever After, number four from Boom Studios, written by Dan Panosian, art by Giorgio Spalletta. In this issue, we're continuing our semi-realistic tale of Alice in Wonderland, but set in an insane asylum. This is a very dark book. Yeah. 
apparently being in an insane asylum, uh, really in any time, is sort of a bummer. Yeah. Um, and especially one run by someone who is uh, not super nice. Um, this this comic has always felt like the people in power are just horribly damaging and abusing the people below them that don't have power. And mm. it is unrelenting in that take. <laughs> so I need some I need a ray of light here because it doesn't look good for any of these characters. This issue in particular, I've really liked this book. But the first couple of issues, I felt like. It started with Alice in Wonderland, and it's veered into terrible insane asylum. And I need to yeah. get back, like, a little bit of that Lewis Carroll. You know, like, yeah. right the ship there a little bit. I think we'll get there, but it's still dead Pinozio Dazzler's writing. The Giorgio Spoletta's characters are really good, uh, the way that he draws them. So, good stuff. Black Adam, number two, from DC Comics, written by Priest, art by Rafa Sandoval. Black Adam is dying, and he needs his descendant to take over for him. This issue, we find out why he's dying, as well as get to see a sense of potentially what's going to come next. Uh, I know you were a huge fan of the first issue, Justin. What did you think about the second one? Did it hold up? Yeah, I I really like the writing in this. Um, I like uh, Priest as a writer, and I feel like always brings just a different energy to the character and uh, the art as well. I like this reminds me a lot of one of my favorite comics, Starman, um, about a, sort of a character who doesn't really want the mantle of superhero being it having to take it and sort of how that character feels about it comes through in that book. And in this book, I think just through great writing, great dialogue, great point of view. Um, and that's it's just great. Yeah, it's really. And good. I'm not I, a huge black. I'm not a huge Black Adam fan by any means. Usually, don't really like Black Adam. I uh, once I got past the thing with the first issue where we talked about this on the podcast, but where I felt like, okay, why are you not doing a tee up for Dwayne the Rock Johnson's Black Adam movie? What is going on here? This is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Yeah, getting past that of the first issue, now onto the second issue. Really like the story, really like the characters, like the direction they're taking it in. It's very interesting. Rafa Sandoval's art, as always, just great superhero art, just really good stuff here. And there's an overarching mystery that they're laying out in terms of what's going on with Black Adam and why. Uh, really good stuff, like you said. Yeah. Next up, do a power bomb number two from Image Comics by Daniel Warren Johnson. And can I say, holy shit. Oh my <laughs> God. I. Even loving the first issue of this book, loving everything that Daniel Warren Johnson has done, this issue blew me out of the water. I don't want to spoil what happens at the end, but how this dude does such an incredible emotional gut punch in every single issue of his books is blowing my mind. And I I would... uh... I would love to interview him and talk about like his process because like, is he writing gut punch to gut punch? How is he putting his stories together? Cause we did interview him once, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We talked the, about him and it was Pete just like talking for half an hour and being like, I fanning love you. Out, yeah. I love you. But it, uh, it so was we great. didn't get he too much out. into it, but <laughs> like, I, I do like the way and the detail, like there's this great full page uh, panel in here. It, uh, I love, pro wrestling and you just feel it in the character and you feel it almost through to the the creator like like 
pulling that, that that feels so real, even though it's a character with spikes for uh, hair, uh, wearing '80s surfer glasses and uh, a leather jacket. Like th- this book is so so good, and um, if I want more gut punches, I rarely say that, especially around Pete. And just to give you all a sense of what the plot is, if you didn't pick up the first issue, and again, please do, one of the best first issues I've read in a very, very long time, and the second issue follows up on it swimmingly, Uh, but it is, and this is a spoiler for the first issue, but it is about this pro wrestler who ends up getting seriously injured and dies during a wrestling match. Her daughter ends up trying to take up the mantle of her wrestling. It doesn't exactly work. Her daughter isn't great at it. But she gets up recruited for, like, basically a mortal combat, but for pro wrestling at the end of the first issue. We follow up on that here. There's more twists. There's more turns. It is so cool. I can't wait to read the rest of the series. I'm so excited. Yeah, again, can't believe Pete's not here to talk about this book. Grim number three for Boob Studios, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Flaviano. Now, I believe we missed the second issue here. We like the first issue of it, uh, so my bad. But the this is about a Grim Reaper who is going on a big adventure, and lots of things are going horribly wrong in the afterlife. What did you think about this one, Justin? Death needs a vacay. Death mm-hmm. taking a break and not – here's the thing, though. When you take a vacation, you got to put the out-of-office email in place, and death totally. does not do that. Totes. So everyone's stressed. Everyone's stressed about what death is up to. Um, and this comic moves very quickly um, between its its points from premise into sort of the real big world building. Um, and I'm trying to think of a comparison. Um, it feels a little bit almost east um, east of west. Uh, I can see the book. I feel like that has a little bit of a vibe here Um, and just some uh, fun death, hell struggles. I'm liking this. I'm liking how they're adding to the mythology every issue. I'm very curious to follow it. And Flaviano's art is very good. Next up, Nightwing number 94 from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Geraldo Borges. We're continuing the story of Nightwing trying to save Bloodhaven while, of course, Blockbuster is coming straight for him, but there's a bunch of twists and turns that happen here. This book is great. Every issue. Yeah. Like truly, <laughs> truly. I mean, we're, we're, we're like comics. We love comics. Um, and we talk about all of these books that we like, but this is, this is sort of the one, this is the mm-hmm. one. If you're looking for just good superhero comics happening right now, go back to the beginning of this very run which is probably, I want to say, 15 to 20 issues back at this point. Yeah, something like uh, that. Something in that neighborhood. And start reading it. Um, the Nightwing-Barber relationship is so aspirational. I love it so much. And that's uh, that's just a tipping, the tip of the iceberg of what I love about this book. So good. Absolutely perfect. Next up, After School, number two from Image Comics, written by Kate Heron and Brianne Redman, art by Layla Lays. This is an anthology series with some horror stories and sci-fi stories and other stories, um, mostly dealing with young adults. Here we are getting a stork who attacks kids who don't want their babies. So it's very timely in terms of its message. <laughs> yeah. Like crazy timely. Uh, but good, surprisingly, given the subject matter, very fun little horror story, I thought. What'd you think? Yeah, it was 
to have it that when that was the premise, I was sort of like, oh, this is intense to read uh, right now. But I do like the way that it 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 was told. I like the art and the fact that it it did just follow a true horror structure. And the stork was scary. Yeah. Scary. Not a famously scary bird. Um, in the grand scheme of uh, fear birds, but um, but the, the fact that this is like like interesting or um, genre takes on after school specials is a, a great great anthology series. Well, and I'll also throw out. I know we've been teasing that we're going to be talking about Ice Cream Man in a second, but between Ice Cream Man, After School, and The Silver Coin three horror anthologies that we're talking about in the stack today, they're all very different. And I love the fact that you can get stuff like that where, like, After School is this very Tales for the Crypt style thing where it's arch and funny a little bit. Silver Coin is, I don't know, maybe a little more like Twilight Zone, like people getting punished. And Ice Cream Man, I mean, I don't know what it is. It's, it's <laughs> like maybe it's out of limits, but I don't even think that's fair. But that you could have all of those different flavors of stuff going on, I think, is very cool. And that Image Comics is publishing all of them is very cool. Yeah, it's great. Aquaman and the Flash, Void Song, number two from DC Comics, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lanzig, art by Vasco Georgiev. In this book, the Flash and Aquaman are the only two people who haven't been taken down by an alien invasion that has turned everybody into silent, frozen screamers. In this issue, they fight back and find out some big revelations about why these aliens are coming to Earth. I know I, I said some variation on this with the last issue, but I feel like... In terms of what I expected this story to be, I think it is punching so far above its weight. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Especially, like, how many times have the Flash and Aquaman really hung out? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and they own that in the book. They're like, we're not really friends. Uh, Flash is even like, we weren't friends before, but we're the only people alive right now. So <laughs> let's just call ourselves friends. Um, so it is like a fun pairing. And I felt like, to your point, it was sort of more of a gimmicky thing or something that was just like, a bit tossed off, uh, but the story is actually really interesting, has some depth, there's some twists and turns in this very issue that uh, caught me off guard, and I'm I'm invested in this. I'm definitely picking this up. Me too, and Vasco Georgiev's art is so nice and so clean, the way that everybody is just sort of hanging there frozen in the sky as they're shouting this silent shout because of the Void song is very cool. The aliens are yep. very weird. Love the way that's playing out. I didn't write down who did the colors in this issue, but the colors are absolutely gorgeous as well. Uh, this is a really good package, and if you haven't been picking this up, definitely check it out. Next colors up, by Rain Barreto. There you go. Good stuff. Next up, we've been teasing it throughout the stack, but Ice Cream Man, number 31 from Image Comics, by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Morazzo. I know we talk about every issue of this book, and we talk about how every issue is great, and every issue is special. This is like I I got choked up at the end of this issue, especially where like in this book, a lot of times the horror is like our own flaws or the things we uh, create for ourselves, the problems of existing in the current world. This is literally just growing older and being alive. I was like, get out of my business, brother. Uh, Because this is about being a parent. It's about like what living a life is. And man, 
the, the true, like there is their only dread in here is something that every single person who reads this book is dealing with right now. And so there's there's a perspective shift halfway through the book, which normally I'd hate. Like, I would yeah. not like that as a concept. But the way that they play that out, it was the same thing. I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing to me right now? Stop it. You're killing me. Yeah. Everything in here. So good. Like, it does not deal with, like you're saying, any of the, like, there's no giant cockroaches, there's no horrible monsters or anything like that. One of the things that is phenomenal about this book, though, 31 issues in, is they're able to put in these, I don't know if they're Easter eggs so much as just parts of the world of the book. Like, there are other issues that happen during this issue, which is sort of pass by in the background, or it touches on other things in terms of like the ice cream man multiverse or whatever they're actually telling in terms of the larger story that are awesome to read as a fan of the book. But uh, yeah, I don't know. They've dealt with this before, but just the way that they deal with aging and losing a parent here killed me. Gets you. Killed me. So I mean, good. the hit the hit rate on this book is that's a hundred percent almost. Like I can't think of an issue or even as part of an issue where I was like, "Oh, that's a miss for me." Like it's just so good, super consistent, incredible. Next up, Fables number one hundred fifty three from DC Comics, written by Bill Willingham, art by Mark Buckingham. This is dealing with a bunch of ongoing storylines, talking about a. Hit ratio, they've been going for, I guess, with a slight decade-long break into 153 issues here. In one land, Bigby Wolf and Snow White are letting their kids go on adventures. Those go kind of terribly wrong. Messes up. Yeah, bunch of other things going on in the background. So as usual with Fables, lots of stuff going on. But man, it is so surprising, but so nice to have this book back. I hope it's just ongoing. Like initially it felt like this was maybe like a 12 issue series, right? But Mm -hmm. this, yeah, it's part three of 12, this issue. I wanted this to just keep going because it's really good. It's super consistent from where it left off at 150. And there's the dread of the way Bigby just misphrases something, a classic like fable or fairy tale mistake. And uh, suddenly it's a big problem. And it's great. Good stuff. Skybound X, number 25 from Image Comics, written by Robert Kirkman, Joshua Williamson, Lorenzo DeFelici, and Max Smith. Art by Ryan Otley, Andre Bresson, Lorenzo DeFelici, and Max Smith. This is jumping ahead from, I believe, issue 5 to issue 25, and that is a shout-out to something that Image did back in the day, giving you a little glimpse of the future of Image Comics. That's the same thing they're doing here with a Battle Beast story from Ryan Otley and Rocco Kirkman that ties right into a classic issue of Invincible. Aggressively ties in. Yeah, which is wild. Uh, We get a look at Joshua Williamson and Andre Bresson, who did Birthright, one of our favorite books here, their next ongoing book, which is very exciting, and a bunch of other short stories as well. This was a great package. I really enjoyed every story of this book. It was really well balanced because you get just like the the battle beast battle uh, story in the front. And I was super psyched to see Joshua Williamson's next book. I'm a huge fan of Birthright. So Dark Ride really hit with me. And then the I think it was the Pale City. Is that the, the uh, uh, yeah, Chroma, the Pale City. Just a great sci-fi world to drop into. I could see this being like a uh, Apple Plus series or something just <laughs> totally. right out of the game. 
This and then great. Scurry, this Pete would be talking about Scurry. Pete would be interrupting us to talk about Scurry this entire time. So um, great stuff. Definitely pick this up. Last but not least, Batman Superman World's Finest, number five from DC Comics, written by Mark Wade, art by Dan Mora. This is wrapping up the first arc of this book as our heroes, including the Doom Patrol, fight against a demonic entity that's trying to take over the world. It... More importantly, and part of the reason we're talking about it, leads into Batman versus Robin, a new book that's coming from Mark Wade. Uh, but what do you think about this one? And what do you think about the wrap up to the first arc? I uh, love Mark Wade. Knows how to pack an issue with uh, great adventure, interesting details, um, the plot changing gears all the time, and just great character moments. And uh, I love the setup for the next issue. I love the stakes of the situation and the sort of very continuity-friendly uh, way that um, the, the narrative resolves itself. Really nice. Good stuff. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Apologies, Pete, but we love comics, too. I'm not